It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hey, hi everybody, Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for listening. Admiral James Stavridis is standing by, the former Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. I want to get his perspective on the president's trip overseas. What's at stake in the G7? What's at stake uh, with the one-on-one on June 16th? And what's at stake that now that Donald Trump is not there... Was he really the cause of problems? Did he actually end up creating more good than bad? I think internationally, the answer is much more good. I've been watching a lot of international television, and I think people kind of miss him already to a degree. They might not like the way he handled things, uh, the way he was America first, but they did like the more mo- the additional money that was in the coffers, and they did like the way he was sticking up uh, for the West against China. I don't know if they're on board for that now. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I've said I'm going to go to the border. And I, when are you going to the border, the Vice President? The administration has asked. I'm not finished. <laughs> I've said I'm going to the border. And there's that laugh again. Getting testy. VP Harris falls flat on her face on her first over her first foreign trip beyond our borders and gets badgered about going to the border. Even the White House can't defend her indifference as illegals pour in and Texas decides they'll build their own wall. I'm not kidding. Number two. This is not a joke. You know what the Joint Chiefs told us the greatest threat facing America was? Global warming. The president is looking at it at a much broader angle (laughs) than I am. I'm looking at it from a strictly military standpoint. And from a strictly military standpoint, I'm putting China and Russia up there. I love when the military sticks to the military. Hold your breath. President Biden is about to sit down with our allies and soon our chief enemy. What we need from the meetings and why he has the world worried hours after citing global warming as our chief enemy. A statement the Joint Chiefs of Staff had to walk back as you just heard. I'm sure Iran, China and Russia are laughing. Number one. I think she absolutely should be fired. And this is a pattern with her, too. He's constantly trying to make you believe that America is a bad place, not worthy of our praise at all. What she does is she says something pretty outlandish, and then she turns around and claims victimhood for it when people criticize her. This is the game that gets played. This is the pattern. Yes, and that, of course, is the immistakable tones of Dan Crenshaw, a wartime veteran. Dems fighting Dems. Yup, wildly inappropriate words from Elon Omar get her rebuked by Democratic leadership as her squad fall in to fight for her. The waning divide be, uh, could blow up as Pelosi and Schumer's narrow majority as a bipartisan deal on infrastructure is announced. The problem is that this group, the bipartisan group on infrastructure, doesn't have the endorsement of either party's leadership. I sense it'll be hard for either side to walk away. But first things first, let me just bring you about this whole thing about Elon Omar. I'm heartened by the fact that Democrats do have standards of behavior. So Elon Omar tweets this out. We must have a new level of accountability and justice for all victims of crimes against humanity. We have been unthinkable atrocities committed by the U.S., Hamas, Israel, Afghanistan, and the Taliban. I asked Secretary of State Blinken where people are supposed to go for justice. Really? That's what you wrote? This is a woman on the Foreign Relations Committee in the House and is, uh, I think, uh, vice chair of a subcommittee on foreign relations. 
This statement is more than just a congresswoman from the Midwest, from Minnesota. Of course, Minnesota again. So Democratic House leadership sees this. It sits out there for a couple of days. And equating us with the Taliban, equating us with Hamas, well, here's what they tweeted out. Quote, legitimate criticism of policies of both the U.S. and Israel is protected by values of free speech and democratic debate. And indeed, such criticism is essential to the strength and health of our democracies. But drawing false equivalencies between democracies like the U.S. and Israel's groups and then engage in terrorism like Hamas and Taliban foments prejudice and undermines progress towards a future of peace and security for all. We welcome clarification from Congressman Omar that there is no moral equivalent between the U.S. and Israel, Hamas and the Taliban. That's from Pelosi, Hoyer, Clyburn, Clark, Jeffries, Aguilar. Then she comes back and clarifies. On Monday, I asked Secretary of State Blinken about an ongoing international criminal court investigation. To be clear, the convention was about accountability for specific incidents regarding the ICC cases, not a moral comparison between Hamas and the Taliban and the U.S. and Israel. I was in no way equating terrorist organizations with democratic countries with well-established justices. But it didn't stop after that. Here, the backlash began again. The House Dems condemn them about equating the Israel and uh, Hamas and the Taliban is offensive and misguided. Ignoring the differences between democracies and governing the rule of law is contemptible. So Omar comes back and reacts to the Jewish Democrats condemning her statement. Quote, it's shameful for colleagues who call me when they need my support to now put out statements asking for clarification and not just a call. The Islamophobic tropes, again, it's all about sexism. It's all about racism. It's all about anti-Islam. In the statement are offensive. The content harassment and silencing from the signers of this letter is unbearable. Citing an open case against Israel, U.S., Hamas, and the Taliban, and the ICC is not comparison from deeply seated prejudice. You might try to undermine these investigations or deny justice to the victims. And then Brad Schneider came back. Democracy should never be lumped into terrorists. I'm pleased Elon Omar uh, eased our concerns about her tweet. Issued a clarification, agrees with our point. I hope all can avoid such offhanded statements in the future. And then in comes the squad, AOC, sick and tired of the constant vilification, intentional mischaracterizations, and public, public targeting of Elon Omar, Rashid Tlaib. Freedom of speech doesn't exist for Muslim women in Congress. The benefit of the doubt doesn't exist for Muslim women in Congress. House Democratic leadership should be ashamed of its relentless, exclusive tone policing of congressmen of color. Yup, it's got to be race. It's got to be because I'm a woman. It's got to be because I'm Muslim. What an embarrassment. Democrats, you deserve this. This is what you this is what you uh, sow. This is what you'll reap. So here, Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson weighed in on Sean Hannity last night. So he's a Republican in North Carolina, and he's also African American. Cut one. Well, it's that same old uh, leftist playbook. If if their narrative is failing, if they can't sway the American voter with good policy and uh, and with a good record, uh, they reach into their bag of tricks. And recently, their best trick in that bag 
is to call folks a racist for a number of reasons. No matter what the cause may be, they pull out these same old lies that Republicans are racist and dangerous to the country when the exact opposite has been proven uh, both today and yesterday uh, throughout history uh, in this nation. Uh, Republicans are the ones who are always standing up for freedom, equality, and all the qualities that have made this nation great. And Democrats are always on the wrong side of history. Yeah, and uh, he points that out, too. And Republicans are Lincoln's party, and we know what Lincoln's able to do. one 408 But I don't want to take too much time away from the admiral. A lot of international stuff to talk about. But as we told you, it is uh, laughable and, and just pathetic that Kamala Harris travels over to Guatemala and doesn't want to talk about the border and it didn't even exp- prepare herself to answer a question of why she hasn't been there. She said, uh, I haven't been to Europe either. So she was asked again about going to the border. Listen to how testy she's getting. Cut 15. I've said I'm going to go to the border. And I, when are you going to the border, the Vice President? The administration has asked. I'm not finished. <laughs> I've said I'm going to the border. And also, if we are going to deal with the problems at the border, we have to deal with the problems that cause people to go to the border, to flee to the border. And that is the root causes. Okay, Uh, she went to one country, zoomed, uh, went to another country, and then left. Zoomed with a couple more. There's over 100 countries who have come here. We can't solve all their problems. In the meantime, 184,000 people crossed our border illegally. Those are the ones that turned themselves in that we got, let alone the ones that died on the way, let alone the ones that came in here with sacks of fentanyl to poison uh, American citizens. So Kamala Harris refused to go to the border has to be indefensible for the Biden administration. How do I th- why do I think that? Because they're not defending her. CNN got a report from their source. They're perplexed by some of her answers. They asked her to take care of this. She quickly, maybe her staffer made her, I don't know, said, I'm only handling root causes, not the border itself. If they, if they see it, they believe they broke it, means they got to fix it. They got to fix it. If you're running for office to be famous and just win elections, don't waste our time. We're over that as a country. When we come back, what's at stake is uh, Joe Biden basically takes yesterday off. At 78 years old, they've slowed down his schedule considerably from normal uh, times. Uh, Today, he's got some things, some uh, cameo things to do, a class picture to take with G7 uh, nations. And then they're going to sit down and they're going to talk. What will they say? What needs to be done? How do we judge this as a success or a failure. And then June 16th, a preview from Admiral James, Stav- Admiral James Stavridis about what the Russians are up to and what we can do to stop them. You're listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm glad you've been here all week. Don't move. Questioning everything. It's Brian Kilmeade. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. 
Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. When I first was elected vice president with President Obama, the military sat us down to let us know what the greatest threats facing America were, the greatest physical threats. This is not a joke. You know what the Joint Chiefs told us the greatest threat facing America was? Global warming. Climate change is a threat, but the president is looking at it at a much broader angle than I am. I'm looking at it from a strictly military standpoint. And from a strictly military standpoint, I'm putting China and Russia up there. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, General Milley trying to do some damage control after clearly President Biden ad-libbed off the prompter because he always says no joke before he makes something up. Now he says the Joint Chiefs of Staff actually told him that. Maybe it's true. Admiral James Stavridis knows just about everyone serving at the highest levels of the Pentagon. He was the 16th uh, Supreme Allied Commander at NATO. And his book now is still doing well, 2034, a novel of the next world war, which looks at a battle with China. Admiral, welcome back. Is it possible the Joint Chiefs of Staff told the vice president at the time that global warming is the number one threat? Seems unlikely to me. Um, I'm kind of with uh, Mark Milley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs, General Milley, someone I know extremely well. Uh, I would put uh, China and Russia at the very top because, ding, ding, obviously, they have immense nuclear capability that could destroy the United States. We would destroy them at the same time. But uh, pretty hard to imagine how climate tops that. Uh, was it disturbing to hear him say that on the on the precipice of the G7? How do our enemies take that, or do they just dismiss it? I think that our enemies recognize that there's a political back and forth and that climate is important to this administration, and that's okay. I mean, I would agree there are long-term security concerns that come out of climate, things like drought leading to conflict, things like our bases getting overrun with uh, rising sea levels. Those are long-term things. Uh, But I'm hopeful that the president in the conversations, particularly when he goes to NATO, will be talking a lot more about China and cyber than about climate. Admiral, it seems widespread belief that Germany and France are going to be very reluctant to go on with our our push to have somewhat of China's economic isolation and alert them to uh, their aggressive buildup, military buildup. It doesn't seem like China and excuse me, Germany and France want to hear it. Well, Brian, we're getting mixed messages. So let me give you some good news. Both Germany and uh, France have agreed to send warships to the South China Sea to conduct these freedom of navigation patrols. The U.S. does those. The British are doing it. Freedom of navigation patrol merely means driving your destroyers through these contested waters. In fact, that's how the book 
2034 opens with China attacking one of these freedom of navigation patrols. So France and Germany are, in fact, uh, deploying forward, coming with us. On the other hand, your point, um, they, in my view, uh, remain too close, too economically uh, docile in the face of Chinese aggression. So I think that's, as I mentioned a moment ago, the biggest thing the president needs to push across to the allies is the concerns we should all collectively have about China. I just don't understand why we have to convince them. They got great intelligence apparatus. They have people. They have embassies. They see what's happening. They know what it's like to cut a deal and you lose their intellectual property in order to do so. I mean, should we be doing this with developed nations? it's, it's It's almost insulting to have to state the obvious. Why is it not obvious to them? Well, I'll just add another uh, shrimp on the barbecue for you, which is we're all coming out of a pandemic that clearly came out of China, whether you go with the wet market or you go with the Wuhan laboratory. And I don't think we're ever going to know the exact answer to that question. Either way, China, highly culpable in allowing this thing to spread. They knew it was out there, sent people outside the country. So um, I'm with you on this one. To me, China is the looming tower. And I, I think the light is starting to come on for our European allies. But again, they feel very economically intertwined with China, what we need to be doing is pulling them back. The G7 is a good mechanism for doing that. That's today. Monday is NATO. That's another place we can do it. And we've got to do bilateral. So the president has to reach out to his counterparts. We're going to have to push this on all fronts. Um, Europe is its own beast, and it needs, uh, if you will, some some encouragement from this side of the Atlantic. I'm I'm confident we'll get that done over time. All right. I, I, my last thing before I, well, here is General Milley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, on how he uh, answered the threat of China yesterday in his committee here in Cut 36. We are bearing witness to a fundamental change in the character of war. In particular, China is increasing its military capability at a very serious and sustained rate. And we must ensure that we retain our competitive and technological edge against this pacing threat. And he wants about seven, over $700 billion, uh, for uh, the Pentagon budget. Number one, do you think he'll get it? Number two, they, they, they said they had very few questions, which makes it feel like they were, in, in retrospect, may feel like they've already made their mind up. Do you think that they made their case yesterday from what you heard? And should America pay attention to those 17 seconds we just heard? Number one, uh, they made their case very forcefully in terms of China, particularly General Milley, but also Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin. Number two, um, we have got to spend on programs that can meet the challenges of China. That means more on cyber, more on space, more on ships, because it will be a maritime conflict, more on long-range air, uh, more on special forces. Those are going to be the coin of the realm if we are going to deter. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. China, I think they 
took some steps in that direction, but I think they've got, they, the Pentagon, have work to do to kind of spin the dial more toward those 21st century systems. But I thought it was an, a good opening case by the secretary and the chairman. Last uh, 90 seconds, what do we need from Russia in that June 16th meeting? We need uh, cyber. We need to convince Putin that he will be subject to significant retaliation if these cyber attacks continue. He is harboring criminals at best, and he is conducting them at worst. Joe Biden has to get that across to Vladimir Putin. Pick up the general's book, 2034, everybody else's, especially for Father's Day, a novel of the next world war by uh, Admiral James Javidis. Admiral, thanks so much. Always great. Always educational to talk to you. Thanks a lot. See you next week. All right. Absolutely. one 408 7669 We come back. John Roberts on the gravity of these trips, how Joe Biden's doing, and also this bipartisan infrastructure proposal that's going to be on Joe Biden's desk when he gets back. Would he sign it? Would Nancy Pelosi sign off on it? Is it enough? We'll talk about it. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. I'm very curious to see a number of things emerging from this uh, G7 summit including, of course, uh, this meeting with Vladimir Putin, which unfortunately I think is set up to be really a coup for Putin in so many different respects. He's already got the Nord Stream pipeline. He's not going to have anything change in Belarus. Uh, Ukraine is going to continue in terms of a simmer. You're going to continue to have Russian actors, whether government-backed or not, uh, extract ransomware from uh, from uh, companies around the world. And I think that you really are going to see, you know, in a continued crackdown on any kind of domestic pushback against Putin's regime, especially from Alexei Navalny. So there you go. That was a little setting the table about what's at stake in this first G7 overseas trip for the president of the United States, the G7 summit. Certainly not his first. He knows and is very experienced. But then he's got to go over on June 16th and sit down with uh, Vladimir Putin, who is very ready for this. Kind of concerned me that Jill Biden, the first lady, said he's been studying so hard. If there's anyone who didn't have to study hard, might it be a guy who's been doing this since 1978. Uh, joining us now is John Roberts. He used to take these trips when he was White House correspondent. Now he's uh, hosting it here on Fox uh, on Fox all day. He works for a couple hours and then can go home and sun himself and uh, play in the pool, play tag, uh, whatever hey, it is. Of, play speak, darts. Speaking of sunning, speaking of sunning themselves, how are your calves today? Are they better than they were a week ago? Oh yes, I, those are the only thing that were not burned on my body. But John, it was amazing how how close the sun is to the Earth because it's the most I was outside, but I was never actually in the sun. But I literally have pulled off my whole epidermis over the last couple of days. <laughs> Remember to always wear sunscreen. I did. It went through it. It laughed at it. But we'll see. So, so John, I know you missed to a degree. Do you miss being on a trip like this? Hey, I'm going on this trip. Oh, you are? When? Uh, I am leaving on Monday. Uh, I'm doing uh, America Reports from Geneva on Tuesday and Wednesday uh, for the summit. Uh, we'll have a bunch of special guests, including the former National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien will be joining us. Uh, we're going to have extensive coverage of all of this. Brian, you know that I wouldn't miss a trip like this. So far, uh, but you did miss the beginning. Good point, and you're the perfect person to be there offer analysis. Well, you know, some people might say if you're going to miss anything, a G7 summit is a good thing to miss because not a whole lot happens during them. 
Unless you can, well, I guess unless you could pull aside one of the leaders, right? Uh, true. Or unless you, or, or unless you're President Trump, and you go in uh, there to uh, was it Charlevoix, and you throw a hand grenade into the whole thing, and then you leave early. Uh, then you, then you make some news. Right, <laughs> and only talk to John <laughs> Roberts. So, so, exactly. so John, the, the president's comments when he said the number one, I talked to my no joke, my number, the number one concern among the Joint Chiefs of Staff when I went in as vice president was global warming. What kind of statement is that? You know, I, I, you know, I can't say because I wasn't there and maybe the, the Joint Chiefs told him that that was a concern. And, you know, climate change is going to be a concern in the future because it's going to lead to population migration, desertification, food shortages, that type of thing. But I would think that for the United States, the greater threat right now is what's going on with China. Uh, China's got uh, an extensive military buildup. It was believed, and there was a great essay in Foreign Policy magazine on May the 20th. Uh, you know, anybody listening should look that up and, and read it because I think it had a really good analysis of what China's doing. It was thought that China wanted to increase its uh, power as a regional power, but now has designs on global domination. And with what's going on here in the United States, with us focusing on woke politics and equity as opposed to uh, pushing forward the, the best and the brightest as quickly as possible and, and looking after our national and global interest, we're really giving China a leg up. I mean, Xi Jinping's got to be sitting back laughing at what is happening in the United States. China is charging along, doing everything it can to build up its military, to build up its economy. To, to make sure that it has uh, reliable access to raw materials for products that it wants to build around the world. And, and mean, meantime, there's a, so much pearl clutching going on here in the United States. And, and we really are almost, I don't want to say we're getting out of the way of China in its quest for global domination of the economy and maybe to some degree society. But we're certainly not standing in their way to the degree that we should be. I mean, looking to salute the Union Army for their role in emancipation, we pretty much that's plowed ground. We got it. I don't know what good mm-hmm. is that. We're trying to uh, diversify, have diversified training for at Fort Bragg, and there's some problems that Senator Tom Cotton pointed out yesterday with Dan Crenshaw among the military masses. They're taking this one area. Of course, they could do a better job when it comes to spending efficiently, but that we have should be immensely proud of that are forming great minds and a great fighting force, the best in the world, I, I thought, and now we're trying to bring some of that woke politics there. It's a scary proposition, and that's, what I, that's why him saying global warming, the number one thing, has to have Iran, Russia, and China laughing. Keep in mind what China did. During the pandemic, they took over Hong Kong. They arrested the democratic voices of unrest. They were determined to uh, speak out and be a capitalist culture. That's all gone. How would, great would you feel if you're—how secure would you feel if you're Taiwan right now? You know, clearly the, this, this whole idea of global warming being like the preeminent threat facing the United States is a, is a nod to the left because that's, that's where their politics lie. And Biden is trying to make sure that he doesn't lose everybody on the left. Uh, meanwhile— Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Rashida Tlaib, Ilana Omar, Prima Jayapal, and others, they are definitely trying to drive the Democrat bus. And and I'm not sure if Biden is better embracing them or marginalizing them. I mean, look what happened with Ilana Omar and her comments about the United States and Israel and, and equating them to the Taliban and uh, Hamas and other terrorist groups. I mean, 
you know, it, it, you wonder <laughs> what the president is thinking when he does so much in terms of outreach uh, to, to these folks. But when it comes to threats facing the United States, it's got to be China as the number one threat. Russia wants to do its own thing, but I don't think it's a particular threat to the United States. China, contrary to what President Biden said during the campaign, does want to eat our lunch, our dinner, our breakfast, and all of our snacks. No kidding. Uh, I would add to that, it doesn't seem as though Germany and France agree. They do not want to be involved, they say, in this economic isolation of China. What, what are they thinking? What are they seeing? You know, they, we don't have to teach them anything about global politics. Why don't they see the threat that seems so obvious? Because they haven't got it figured out yet. And this goes back to conversations that I had with General Jim Jones um, a couple of years ago now about 5G. He, he came to me uh, because he was heavily involved with trying to talk our allies like Britain, like Germany, like France, out of putting Huawei equipment as their core in 5G. And, and, and officials from these countries said to him, they said, well, General Jones, we appreciate the fact that you think it's a national security issue, but we like the fact that we can get it for pennies on the dollar compared to what American uh, equipment costs. And there's a reason for that. It's like the drug dealer who wants to sell you heroin for the rest of your life, and he says the first one's free. So these these countries, they 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 just they don't understand the threat. They don't understand that if they put Huawei at the core of their 5G, that they are basically handing the keys to their cyber kingdom to the Chinese. I mean, maybe they will come around to it at some point. But when you look at what China is doing regionally and globally in terms of this this network that it is developing, everybody better be looking over their shoulders because China's coming for them. And not only that, they're here. You read Josh Rogan's book and you see how they infiltrated our college system, how they're very aware the Eric Swalwell situation is something that comes to mind. The the lowest level to the highest level, the the driver for uh, longtime Senator Feinstein, they are looking to infiltrate, find the next star and compromise him. He talks about Steve Daines, uh, who they worked out some deal when it comes to uh, the Montana beef over to China. And then they turn around, they put a Tibetan official next to him about free uh, that was for their way of taking back Tibet. And they're trying to infiltrate and compromise our leaders on every level. I mean, we're under diplomatic cyber attack. Uh, we know what they've already done, what they've already acknowledged, what they've taken from us into intellectual property. And now they're trying to take over our political system subtly. Oh, it's, it's insidious. And, you know, and one of the things that's at the center of all this, too, is COVID. I, I, this morning, in order to go over to Switzerland, had to have a PCR test for COVID, even though I've been vaccinated and I've tested negative for the last 16 months. I had to have a PCR test today. The, the, <laughs> the equipment that they were using to test me, the swabs and the reagents, made in China, right there on the box. So it's like they give us COVID and <laughs> then they give us the testing equipment in order to find out whether we have COVID or not. It's insidious, Brian, and the tentacles... The Chinese tentacles are stretching into everything. Now, you know, I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist because I'm not. But when you look at what Xi Jinping and the Communist Party of China are doing, is they are laying the groundwork for a 50-year plan, which will probably be accelerated now, given the fact that the Biden administration doesn't seem to be as concerned about it as the Trump administration was, to, to, to take over the world's economy, to become the dominant superpower 
of the world. There is no question about that. I want you to see if this analysis lines up to what you might be concluding as well. Senator Lindsey Graham, cut 11. Let's just be honest. Uh, the bad guys were fa- uh, afraid of Trump. Who's afraid of Biden? I mean, you know, the Europeans are talking about doing a trade deal with China as China dismantles Hong Kong's democracy and is engaging in genocide against the Uyghurs. So this just blows my mind. They're talking about going back into the Iranian nuclear deal, even though Iran hasn't changed its behavior at all. I can tell you one thing. The Israelis miss a a strong American president. The Mexican president blamed Biden for the spike in illegal immigration. We've had 160% increase in illegal immigration uh, in the last six months because Biden doesn't know what he's doing on the border. The perception from the outside about us, was Lindsey Graham on the money or is he just playing politics? You know, he knows an awful lot about foreign policy. He does play politics as well. There's no question about that. But, you know, I, I think that everything that Lindsey Graham said there is firmly based in fact. And and this administration, I think Tony Blinken gets it probably better than anybody so. else. That, you know, this, this administration has to really understand what a threat China is to our way of life and to our economy. You know, how much of our, of our debt do they hold and what could they do? If they decided to manipulate that, you know, there was an old Tom Clancy uh, book. It was called Badge of Badge of Honor, I think it was, where China and India conspired to take down the U.S. economy uh, by something along the lines of shorting American Treasury bonds that they held so so much of, and a debt of honor is what it was called. And 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 they could do that tomorrow if they wanted to. You know, you've got Russia cyber hacking everything. You've got China cyber hacking as well. So they are now infiltrating our infrastructure. They can play with our economy. And and if, God forbid, COVID, and I'm not saying it was, but God forbid COVID was some sort of bioweapon that was in development, uh, they, can, they can crash the world economy as well. So you've got to pay attention to this. I, I don't think you can overstate the case. Uh, just how much China is a competitive threat to the United States. Remember Bill Clinton back in the 90s, Brian said, China is a strategic partner. George W. Bush came along and was excoriated for saying, no, China is not a, a strategic partner. China is a strategic competitor. Well, now they are more than a competitor. They are a threat to our way of life, to our economy. And we better wake up to that fact quick. Right. And, uh, of course, Joe Biden got his comeuppance when he made that statement, thinking it was 1985 again, when he said, oh, come on, man, we can eat there. China can't eat our lunch or whatever he said. Uh, he had to walk that back. <laughs> Lastly, this infrastructure bill set up by a bipartisan bicameral group, uh, it's about 900 or it's just over a trillion dollars. It, it, it actually um, it forced Senator Capito to have her negotiations come to a stop. I think they really undermined her. But they came to a rough agreement. This had intrigued Joe Biden before he left. Is this agreement, without Mitch McConnell's endorsement, is this agreement have a shot at being the groundwork for a bipartisan agreement on infrastructure, do you think? You know, I don't, I don't know if it's Mitch McConnell that's going to be the one that would stand in the way of this. The, the bipartisan problem solvers caucus comes up with some great ideas. And they are the one group in Congress that is really trying to reach across the aisle and get things done. 
But when you've got Chuck Schumer who says, no, infrastructure has got to be about you know, climate change and it's got to be about equity and it's got to be about all of these other social engineering <laughs> programs that we want to do, then Chuck Schumer becomes the problem. And then you've got the squad and everybody on the left saying it's not enough, it's not enough. We need to be spending $6 trillion and none of it has to do with infrastructure. It's got to do with all of this other stuff. I don't, I don't necessarily, you know, Republicans don't want to spend a lot of money on, on infrastructure, particularly on things that, that don't really count as infrastructure to them. But I think the bigger problem for the Problem Solvers Caucus and, and their infrastructure plan, which, which may be reasonable, are the Democrats. Yeah, we'll see, uh, because they're not going to get Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin signed on to this. So then he says, I am trying to deal. Then he now the Republicans actually could say, I did a deal with them, and you guys don't want it. So Joe Manchin's got cover to continue to push back against any bipartisan agreement. John, have a great trip. I look forward to talking to you again next week, if you could squeeze us in. Yeah, absolutely, Brian. You know, I, I said months ago that Joe Manchin was going to be the most significant Democrat in Congress, and that that prophecy has come true. <laughs> Nostradamus on the road. Meet you in Vienna. Thanks so much, right, John. No, Geneva, Geneva, Geneva. Oh, that's right. I'll go to Geneva. Don't go to Vienna. All right, back in a moment. Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Jeff Bezos announced that he would be part of a historic flight to space next month. Well, now... Fellow billionaire Richard Branson says that he will be launched into space before Jeff Bezos. I know. Big deal, though. One of them is going to go first into space, and the other is just going to be a loser. Sat at home with billions of dollars. <laughs> yeah, I fell a little flat, but... It's funny, though. Hey, I want you to hear this caller that called into CNN to Brian Stelter selling his paperback that's about Fox, because he can't sell anything that's about CNN. Listen to this call or just rip into him. Cut 40. I'd like to ask Brian on national television, admit he and his network are a bunch of liars about Donald Trump. Mr. Stelzer is the biggest minister of misinformation I have ever heard, and I'm a news junkie. He made the statement just a few minutes ago that he is all the stories are always evolving. Yeah, his yeah. stories absolutely evolve. Thank you for the feedback. I appreciate it. We go on. Cut 41. Savannah, Georgia. Rick, good morning. You're next. Uh, yes. I was just wondering if you still feel like Michael Avenatti is the greatest thing in the world and should run for president of the United States. That's and funny. My, suggest my suggestion is whatever CNN says, do the opposite and you'll be fine. You know, CNN is just something that's it's a joke. It's a joke. Right. This guy tells more lies, and Fox gives more news than CNN does in our What lie? Uh, what lie did I tell? Two years. It's nothing but lies. <laughs> I don't know how many books you sell. I, I don't, mean, but you have to give him credit for at least going on there. On I don't know. C-SPAN should be a safe harbor for him, wouldn't you think? It hasn't been before, though, actually. I sort of was expecting oh, really? some fun. Well, it, it is amazing that they can't even write about stuff they, their own network. They have to write about ours.
New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. I'm pretty sure that's my cue. Hi, everybody. Brian Kilmeade uh, from New York. Heard around the country. Heard around the world. A world getting back to normal, at least for the U.S., a nation that's getting back to normal. The rest of the world dragging behind us outside Israel as we come out of this pandemic inflicting us by China. It was indeed a China virus. Uh, this hour, we're going to be joined by a man who uh, has tackled the toughest issues in America and the toughest cities in America, Bill Bratton. He's got a brand new book out talking about his career. And man, do we need some law and order and some reason as police reform uh, seems to be coming down the pike. It looks like Cory Booker handed it over to Republicans to take a look at his proposal, which is led by Tim Scott. And we'll see what, if anything, does get done. Bill Bratton join us and Geraldo in a matter of moments. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I've said I'm going to go to the border. And I, when are you going to the border, the Vice President? The administration has asked. I'm not finished. <laughs> I've said I'm going to the border. Wow. Little testy, aren't we? VP Harris falls flat on her face on her first big Beyond Our Borders trip and gets badgered about not going to our border in Guatemala, Mexico, and now back in the U.S. Even as the White House can't defend her indifference as illegals pour in at the tune of 180,000 plus last month. And Texas astoundingly decides they're going to build up their own wall and start making their own arrests. I'm not kidding. Number two. This is not a joke. You know what the Joint Chiefs told us the greatest threat facing America was? Global warming. The president is looking at it at a much broader angle than I am. I'm looking at it from a strictly military standpoint. And from a strictly military standpoint, I'm putting China and Russia up there. That is Mark Milley trying to save the face of our nation because the president of the United States thinks it's global warming. Hold your breath. President Biden about to sit down with our allies and soon our chief enemy. What we need from those meetings and why he has the world worried hours after citing global warming as our chief enemy. A statement from the Joint Chiefs helped me feel better and sleep a little bit. I am sure Iran, China and Russia are laughing. Number one. I think she absolutely should be fired. And this is a pattern with her, too. He's constantly trying to make you believe that America is a bad place, not worthy of our praise at all. What she does is she says something pretty outlandish, and then she turns around and claims victimhood for it when people criticize her. This is the game that gets played. This is the pattern. Yep, uh, there he is. A Navy SEAL Dan Crenshaw talking about it. Now Texas lawmaker Dems fighting words. Wildly inappropriate words from Ilhan Omar get her rebuked by Democratic leadership as her squad fall in to fight and watch her back. The waning divide could blow up as Pelosi and Schumer's narrow majority as a bipartisan deal on infrastructure is announced. The problem is that this group doesn't have an endorsement from party leadership. So that proposal that they put on Joe Biden's desk might not have leadership backing. Let's join a a man who needs no leadership because he is his own leader. Uh, He navigates his own course. He is a human compass. Geraldo Rivera, welcome. I, I was wondering how you're going to like get this metaphor <laughs> down to business. It was tough here, for a while, but I, but I pulled it out. <laughs> you always do. You always do. You're you're a wonderfully articulate person. All I right, appreciate. thank you. I gotta get. I gotta tell you, nobody says that Elon Omar is not articulate and bright. 
I do question her patriotism and why she came here. She seems to be the biggest critic of our country. Here's what she said. We have the same level of accountability and justice for all victims of crimes against humanity. We have seen unthinkable atrocities committed by the U.S., Hamas, Israel, Afghanistan, and the Taliban. I asked Secretary of State Blinken where people are supposed to go for justice. And that outraged Democratic House leadership. I won't bore you with their response, measured, but just know Republicans are watching from the outside here. Geraldo, where do you stand? I think— First of all, Brian, who is uh, Ilan Omar? I mean, she's born in Somalia. Uh, She was a refugee. Uh, She's one of the first Muslims ever elected to Congress. I mean, why is it a stop the presses moment when she has a different point of view than uh, the 12 uh, Jewish congressmen who criticized her? Uh, You know it's not about Jewish or Christians. You know it's about America. But, you know, Brian, it's, it's about America, but everyone has their own point of view. Uh, Yes, there are some objective truths, and uh, we can debate that in this context if you want to. Uh, but people, different strokes, different folks. I mean, if you if you're uh, if you've got family living in Israel and you're a Jewish American, you have a different point of view than someone who, uh, like, uh, uh, what's her name, Talib, the Palestinian congresswoman from the Michigan area. It's just that people see things and they feel things through their own personal filters. And I, I think that I, I agree. I'll make it I'll simple. Make it, uh, I'll make it AOC. simple. I don't think I was clear. The, the U.S. Hamas and uh, the Taliban belong in the same sentence when it comes to humanity? You know, it depends on who you ask. Again, I'm asking you. You're an American. I, I, I think the United States bends over backwards to be the nation with the, the cleanest hands. We try our best to do our best for humanity. Uh, we have a sense of uh, purpose, and, uh, and Hamas doesn't. Uh, but if you're a Palestinian living in Gaza, you have a different view of Hamas than we do looking at it from uh, New York or Cleveland. Uh, I, I, I don't mean to be wishy-washy on you because I know you, you like my, my, my biting uh, opinions, uh, however indefensible they may be from your point of view. Uh, but I, I, I think that the, the squad, so-called, these four women, and I, I guess there's another guy who's in and out of the group. Jamal Brown. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, they have they have a different bundle of personal experiences than you or, or I do. And they 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 maybe are more provocative. They're they're youthful and there's there's an impetuosity there. But there's also a sincerity. Uh, there's an originality. Uh, and sometimes they say things for effect rather than for truth. And, you know, when you combine Israel and Hamas, uh, and the United States and the Taliban and Afghanistan and all the rest of it and as, as moral equivalents, you, you're doomed uh, to displease everybody. It's, uh, you Except know, you. Stay away from you don't people. seem displeased by it. You know, you know it's, uh, I, I, I feel like to be at Fox, for me to be at Fox, I've had to defend AOC now since she was elected, uh, was it, three You don't years have ago. to. No, but I do it because 
I see her through the lens of a kid in the Bronx or Brooklyn uh, watching a, a, a young lady go from nowhere to becoming one of the most uh, articulate voices on the national, international stage. I admire her tremendously. I know that many young Puerto Rican girls think of AOC as, a, a, you know, Batwoman, Superwoman. Uh, uh, you know, she's she takes on the, the giants. Uh, you know, so I, I'm just saying... What I urge is that we just don't all look at uh, at these issues from one, one kind of point of view. There are many well, points of view well, put it this in way, this diverse country. But their point of view is always anti-American to the point where the Democrats are speaking up. And Nancy Pelosi is one of the people who signed off on this. She's not Jewish. Uh, I don't uh, – you know, Israel is part of this, but it's really like, really, we're the Taliban? Really? So she has to – she walks it back, and then the squad lines up with her, and there we go, Geraldo. It's sexism, racism, anti-Islam. Pretty sick, AOC says, had tired of the constant vilification, intentional mischaracterization of public targeting of Omar coming from our caucus. They have no concept of the danger they put her in by skipping private conversations and going public. Tlaib, freedom of speech doesn't exist for Muslim women. Presley, stop the bad faith attempts to take her words out of context. She called it simple. The ICC exists to investigate uh, uh, human rights causes. And goes on. Cory Bush, Elon Omar, stop attacking us. I'm not surprised when Republicans attack black women for standing up for human rights. But when Democrats, it's especially hurtful. It's not black or white or anything to do with gender or religion. Why do people go back to that? It cheapens the whole argument. Everything is racist, anti this, anti that. No, your comments, regardless of your background and the state and district you represent, have you were on the Foreign Relations Committee and you co-chair a subcommittee on foreign relations or vice chair, you have weight. It's not just a pundit. I agree with that, but you have to, again, put yourself in the other guy's shoes. I know you don't have to, and, and, and it's fashionable now, but now not to. Say you're Tlaib. There are over 200 dead Palestinians from the fighting a couple of weeks ago. Many of them were children. You saw the front page of the New York Times. It had 69 Palestinian children. They're pictures, like they're little grade school pictures on the front page. You have a different point of view than if you're uh, an Israeli settler and you're getting rocketed by Hamas than if you're a Palestinian and you see all these dead Palestinian children. That, you know, who's right in that situation? Who's, who's wrong? Is it too I, much I believe, for you to be pro-American I, I, about anything? Could you be pro-American about anything ever? Why is pro-American only the Israeli pro side? Why isn't it? Why couldn't it be pro-American? She, and be she pro put the U.S. Also? in the same sentence as the Taliban, and uh, and the Taliban and Hamas. I, listen, I am a patriot, a fierce patriot. Not only that, I'm a Zionist. I'm a Jew. Uh, you know, I, I'm a person of color. Also, my Puerto Rican father. Uh, you know, I covered Afghanistan extensively, as you know, Iraq extensively, as you know. I did 11 assignments in each of those countries. The biggest issue uh, in terms of the United States' failure to get traction in terms of community support is friendly fire. It's our drones, our aircraft killing civilian Afghans. So from the point of view of some of those civilian Afghans, you know, these comparisons uh, bet- with, between Hamas and the United States – if you're an Afghan and your family's been wiped out by a drone strike, uh, you know, you'd be more inclined to agree with the squad. Uh, right. than, uh, uh, th- than with that's, where, that's why they're begging us to stay. 
Uh, so, uh, and they nobody wants the Taliban well, back. Uh, it's a very unpopular. You, you have to check out the friendly fire. Uh, right. You know these are these are these are. So, I, I, I can't even go there. All, all I can say is the, the so easiest thing is a sports analogy. It's an impossible. You put me in an impossible position where I can't defend the indefensible. But I oh, urge. But you don't have to, Geraldo. To, to yeah. walk a walk a, a walk a mile in their shoes, and you you these are not. Omar and Talib and Presley and AOC, these aren't bad people. They are people who have an activist point of view. They're, uh, you know, there's too much you say. There's one thing. There's one thing has nothing to do with the other. I'm not I'm not assessing their character. I just want them to do their job and not diminish our country. And what's what's different about this is the Democrats are just seem just as incensed. But they have very little wiggle room because they only have a four-seat advantage. So the squad unites behind them. Good luck. You guys fight that out. I got something else to bring up that I'm kind of stunned at. I don't really feel comfortable bringing it up, but I think you might know him. Are you surprised that Jeffrey Tubin is back on CNN, got fired after his <laughs> Zoom incident? Well, I believe in redemption. I, I am a bit surprised that he's back uh, as quickly as he is. Uh, what he did was uh, really uh, showed a, a character flaw that maybe he did not know existed. Uh, they say, or he says, he's been in therapy for the last eight months. Does seem uh, uh, quick, but you know, if CNN thinks they could take the take the heat, then uh, you know, I, I I'm not critical of it. Uh, Tubin is very, very effective. I thought it was a tragedy. I, I think he's by far their best uh, legal commentator uh, on, on CNN, uh, very thoughtful in many ways. But apparently there's a whole lot of skeletons in his closet or wherever. Uh, and for him to do something as, as wantonly reckless as he did, I mean, shame on him. I'm, I'm surprised he's back as quickly as he is. But maybe it's refreshing in the era of cancel culture where right. one mistake, uh, one misstep can cost you your entire I hear you, Geraldo. I'm not for I'm not for telling people they should lose their job, their livelihoods. She, he's been through it. I get it. But if you compare it to Rick Santorum, who made a comment about his belief on Native Americans when uh, the U.S. came, which is now the United States of America, is there gone? You're fired. We can't tolerate this anymore. Suspension to firing. So here's how it went: as he went back on the air yesterday with our good friend Ali Camerata. What the hell were you thinking? Well, obviously, uh, I wasn't thinking very well or very much. And um, it was something that was inexplicable to me. I think one point, I, I wouldn't exactly say in my defense, because nothing is really in my defense. I didn't think I was on the call. I didn't think other people could see me. You so, thought that you had turned off your camera? Correct. I thought that I had turned off the Zoom call. Now, that's not a defense. This was deeply moronic. I agree with him. It was deeply moronic. I, I definitely agree with uh, with that aspect. But I, I would, if there is any silver lining uh, to this incident, it is maybe uh, employers will uh, not give the death penalty to people who have strayed. In terms of Santorum, I, I believe CNN seized 
the opportunity yeah. to get rid of one of their few Republican conservative voices. Uh, I, 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 what he did and said, and speaking now as a person who's more than 10 percent Native American, uh, I, I forgive Santorum his, uh, his blockheadedness, but my goodness, he wasn't being intentionally <laughs> racist. Uh, and, uh, you know, to, to wipe out the career of a distinguished former senator, I, 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 I don't know where the hell people feel that they have the moral, uh, you know, high ground when they drum someone, a decent man yeah. like that, out of business. I think it'll help his career. He'll end up coming back here uh, or running well, for office again. He'd be welcome. He'd be welcome. Uh, Geraldo, great talk expect. to you. Good luck on your ship, uh, your uh, battleship this weekend. Okay, I'll be out there. I'll be I'll be fighting. You got <laughs> Geraldo Rivera. Thanks so much. Uh, Thank you, you can Brian. follow him at Geraldo Rivera. His full name. Uh, when we come back, your calls one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. You're listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I've got a letter going to Dr. Fauci from myself and Senator Paul asking him about the op-ed piece of the two scientists who believe that the sequencing of the coronavirus proves almost positively, positively that it came from a man-made laboratory experiment, not from nature. So how could they know so certain in 2020 February that the lab leak theory was a bunch of right-wing they propaganda didn't. when it seems to be more likely than not today? Absolutely. It is uh, nuts uh, that we just got this dismissed and uh, social media was going along with whatever Anthony Fauci said, who was in constant communication with Bill Gates and constant communication with Zuckerberg of Facebook. Richard KDWN in Las Vegas. Hey, Richard. Uh, hi, Brian. You know, when someone says uh, about perspective, that is in no way equal to morality and honesty because you know you can hide behind perspective but when you're firing 4,000 rockets hiding behind kids there's going to be kids that are going to get injured or hurt or killed and you know that coming from Geraldo I remember him during the intifada with Yasser Arafat sitting almost on his lap lavishly calling him his friend, calling him as a friend, the guy who sent out terrorists to suicide bomb kids, women, and children in schools, and also in um, uh, supermarkets and ice cream parlors. So his calling out his credentials, a pro-Zionist, a pro-American, that's his perspective that he's okay with terrorism. Listen, um, I just totally disagree with Geraldo. Uh, this woman is totally out of line. Almost everything she says is anti-American. I have no idea why she came to this country. I'm not telling her to leave. I just cannot see. I would love to see some pro-American statements and how it changed her life and her family's life and how much better it is here. Maybe how she wants to help the land she left. I get it. But to just be so disrespectful to the place she came, I don't get 
Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. To the left, crime is a racist fiction. Uh, They simply do not acknowledge that it exists. And the biggest lie that defines the left today is that every disparity in America is the result of racism. Alternative explanations such as the academic skills gap or uh, cultural and behavioral differences are not just not allowed. They'll get you branded as a racist. Uh, but reality will, will eventually assert itself. And what we're seeing today is a record-breaking increase in violent street crimes in city after city. Two dozen blacks are killed every day to absolutely no attention from the press. That's more than all white and Hispanic homicide victims combined, even though blacks are only 12 percent of the nation's population. Why? Because of this massive delegitimation of law enforcement. And that's a little about what's going on in this country today, as you see a huge rise in crime, homicides especially, in major cities across the country. A lot of riots. Uh, you have the uh, criminal justice reform, which many people interpret in different ways. No cash bail over in New York. So you empty the prisons. You have no cash bail for anything but serious offenses. And then at the same time, you do fund and dispirit the police. What do you think the result's going to be? A massive rise in crime. What a perfect time for Bill Bratton to write his memoirs. It's called The Profession. He's It's a memoir of a community race and the arc of policing in America uh, by one of the most renowned police chiefs in our history here in New York, in Los Angeles and beyond, uh, who also fought in Vietnam. Uh, Bill Bratton, uh, welcome back, Commissioner. Thank you, Brian. Timing is everything in life, isn't it? It is. Uh, I wish the timing wasn't so great. Can you put in perspective the state of uh, law enforcement in America right now from everything you've experienced over the decades? Unfortunately, at the moment, that uh, law enforcement in America uh, has been under attack uh, for several years, and the impact of those attacks uh, under the guise of criminal justice reform has been uh, uh, profound, as uh, evidenced by the comments from Heather McDonald that you just uh, uh, aired at the start of your show. The idea that crime is up dramatically in this uh, uh, time period uh, historic time increases in many cities around the country. This was an epidemic that was growing that was not being paid attention to by most media uh, during the time of the coronavirus. And as Heather points out, there's an element of this crime uh, wave that is not being uh, focused on, which is important to uh, understand, and that's the issue of the impact of that crime on uh, our African-American community and population, that uh, they are bearing the brunt of that crime increase in terms of the victims, and at the same time, something that is not uh, uh, commented upon often enough is that the bulk of that uh, crime is being committed by uh, blacks. Forty-eight percent of the murders in the United States, uh, uh, the perpetrators are blacks, and about the same number percentage are the victims of uh, crime, way out of proportion to the 12 or 13 percent of their population. So it's an epidemic that, like the uh, coronavirus epidemic, uh, impacted significantly on minority communities. This is another epidemic that is just 
uh, really beginning to be identified and paid attention to once again. Commissioner Bratton, just to be clear on that, you're saying 48% of all crime is committed by blacks? No, I'm talking specifically murders. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. That, that the idea of murders, yeah. and, and, the, and the victims, too. And the victims. It, it, proportionally, it's about the same that uh, in the city of New York and other major cities with uh, large uh, African-American populations, uh, it is unfortunate, but uh, that percentage goes up phenomenally, that uh, 80 to 90 percent of the victims of uh, uh, shootings and murders in New York City are minorities, and a significant percentage of that uh, in the city with a 25 percent black population, a significant percentage of the majority of those victims are blacks, as well as uh, the percentage of perpetrators. So it's an issue that uh, in uh, dealing with the crime problem going forward, and America's going to have to face it this summer, certainly, with the explosion of crime, that uh, needs to be understood uh, as we attempt to address it, and as we did in the 90s, uh, reverse it. You did, and we're going to talk about that. But just on this for now, uh, so why is it that if a white officer shoots and kills a white uh, black suspect, why don't those other stats come forward? Why, why wouldn't a police, uh, police chief come out and say, hey, by the way, this is an incident we're going to investigate, but this is not the major problem. If we want to address this problem, it's in the black community killing other members of the black community or minorities killing other members of the minority communities. Why don't we address that? And when you peel it away, doesn't it come down to family? I don't know about the, uh, the idea of family in the sense of uh, uh, that as a because Could that be an influence? <clears throat> Certainly. So I talk oftentimes, Brian, about the idea of uh, the problems of the 70s and 80s was that coming out of the turmoil of the 60s, we thought and believed, the, both politicians, academics, the media, that the causes of crime were racism, were poverty, were uh, economic deprivation, were uh, uh, lack of education. Uh, those were influences. The cause of crime is simply people doing bad things, criminals. And we have, uh, the last few years on the criminal justice reform movement, we focused our attention on uh, the victim and now put it back onto the criminal and put it back on the criminal way of, in many respects, uh, excusing their behavior instead of dealing with it and uh, uh, punishing it or treating it. And so there, there are many causes for uh, why individuals create crime. Might family be one of them or influences? Might family be one of them? Certainly, but uh, as a single causal factor, no, I don't think so. True, uh, plays a role, uh, but in terms of learning basic values, for example, I would never, I don't know anybody, and I don't come from an affluent background, uh, come from a blue-collar area. Well, well, I don't, welcome to the club, Brian. Yeah, I, I know that, that's what, what you're about, too. But I would never, whether I was, whether I was, uh, whether I was um, wrongly accused, if I'm told to pull over by a cop or stop, I stop. I don't run. It seems like half these, most of these incidents are because there's an, uh, they're trying to run from arrest, don't want to be cuffed. That, that begins it. You could fight your battles, explain your innocence through the system, but there's a running from cops where it's almost, it's almost unusual not to run in some of these inner city situations. Have you noticed that? There is no doubt that so many of the instances that we now see uh, because of the prevalence of uh, video capabilities in almost everybody's hands on their smartphone. Uh, we now see rather than hear or read about uh, so many encounters with police, uh, uh, 
started spinning out of control when the person being stopped, questioned, or attempted to be arrested by the police begins to resist. It is illegal in most states to resist uh, arrest, but uh, very seldom will the prosecutors ever seek to meaningfully charge for that offense. But uh, these incidents that are so viral now that uh, are repeated over and over again of police using force. We have an expression, I think you've heard it before, uh, it uh, looks awful, but it's lawful. Uh, it never looks good when police are using force to effect an arrest or get control of a person. Uh, it, it's disturbing, and we see it over and over again now because of the prevalence of videos. But so much of it begins when people refuse to submit to the lawful authority of an officer. There's no denying uh, uh, in black communities, uh, uh, brown communities, that there is a fear of police because of, unfortunately, some of the incidents that occur to members of those communities that are uh, significantly dramatized, uh, uh, and we've seen evidence of that certainly in the last few years with uh, George Floyd's death, uh, Eric Garner here in New York. But uh, So we need to take that into context. But that is the challenge for police that uh, they're facing right now that's causing so many problems that in dealing with the simplest uh, police enforcement action, whether it's an, an admonition, stop that, a directive, uh, get off the corner, get out of the park, there's now a curfew, uh, they resisted, and efforts to uh, uh, enforce even the most minor infractions are met with uh, resistance by the person being interacted with, yeah. but then a group, group that immediately surrounds them. We see these videos constantly of officers immediately being surrounded by people with their cameras, egging them on, trying to effectively catch them doing an inappropriate uh, thing. Uh, it is uh, one of the reasons why policing has become so fraught with peril at this time in our history. And it's something going forward that we're going to have to find better ways to address. But you're not getting as many cops. I'm, by the way, I'm talking to Bill Bratton, police, uh, police commissioner for, for New York twice, uh, police commissioner of Boston, as well as uh, police chief of uh, the Los Angeles Police Department. So if you want experience through various cities and different challenges, through different mayors and leaders and governors, he's the one-stop shopping to do it. You open up your book with the brutal murder of two police officers here in New York. You lead up to it. You don't, you don't leave out any of the uh, horrific details of the shooting and the family's reaction. And you also bring in Mayor de Blasio and how he got off to such a bad foot and never got on the right foot with police. First off, here he is the other day talking about the issues that, that uh, play into the uptick in violence. See if you agree. Cut 42. It's not because of one thing. Let's be really clear. There's not one cause for something like this. There's a lot of different pieces. And again, the fact that the court system's not working, the economy is not working. People have been pent up for months and months. So many issues underlying this challenge. We, all of us together, have been keeping this city safe now for seven years. So let's just be 100% clear. It's an extraordinarily difficult time in our city's history. It may be the single worst combination of crises New York City has ever faced. He is skirting around this issue, and I just want you to answer him uh, with your expertise about what is causing the uptick in crime, gradual uptick to the point where I've never seen it so bad, in my lifetime anyway. Let me give you a perspective, and uh, as I speak to in the book, my perspective is informed by 50 years of history. There's an expression I use in the book, John Timmy, uh, something to the effect, those who don't know their history are doomed to repeat it. 
And there's another expression I, 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 I like also in thinking about this issue. Life is too short to live everything in your own time, meaning so much of what's going on in New York and the country right now, people living in their own time. They're living in the present and have no understanding of the past and how we got to the present. So in the case of New York City, the mayor misspoke when he talked only about seven years of uh, improved crime before the last two. It's been 30 years. We began to turn this around in the 1990s, as they talk about in the book, starting with transit, then with Mayor Giuliani in 94, uh, going on to L.A. when I was there in 2002, and then coming back working for Mayor de Blasio in 2014. When I left in 16 after three years, and I had a very good relationship with de Blasio during that time because he was supportive of so much of what we were looking for to keep that 30-year crime trend going forward. It was a combination of enough cops, it was a combination of focusing not only on serious crime, which was down uh, uh, by 2018, murders were down 90% in New York City, shootings with uh, overall crime down by 80%. And anybody living in this moment in time in 2018 in New York clearly understood that the quality of life on our streets had improved dramatically from what it was. So we were in a good place in 2018. He was very supportive of the duality of forcing, enforcing quality of life crime as well as serious crime. But we also were in a position, because there was so little crime left, that we could start taking our foot off the gas pedal in some respects. We could reduce the stops, the questions and frisk. We could reduce the summonses. We could reduce the arrests. Why? With crime down by 80%, it was less for police to have to enforce and now we were engaging in implementation of community policing, neighborhood policing. But where I would uh, correct the mayor in terms of his comment, uh, there are many influences for the current crime situation across America, and specifically, let's face it, we know a little more about New York because we're living here, that the influences were certainly the virus, the coronavirus, uh, the economy factors in unemployment. And I talk about that, that the influences of crime, but the cause is still criminal behavior by people. And what happened in 2018 that I believe is a significant causal effect of the increase in crime, the legislature in Albany and supported to uh, some extent by the city council in New York City began this criminal justice reform effort. We were reforming the police, uh, I can speak to it firsthand, and we were forming an extent the use of force by New York City police is down dramatically, the number of citations, the number of arrests, we had 26 combat incidents with 35,000 police officers in uh, uh, 2019 and 2020. That's down from almost 900 in the 1970s, understanding history again. 35,000 officers uh, to only have 26 incidents in which they, by and large, were responding to being assaulted by people with firearms. I think they took seven or eight lives. So we were reforming on our own, and uh, then the legislature got into the act and put forward bail reform, criminal justice reform, and created the nightmare that we're now experiencing in New York. Right. If you want a cause for crime going up in New York, you don't have to look too far. Look to the city council and look to the legislature in Albany uh, and the bills that they put forward right. that began to handicap the police. Absolutely. And you've talked about getting off the wrong foot. He got rid of stop and frisk. He did not fight to keep it. And then, of course, he had that uh, statement where his son. We still have it. Let me, let, let me correct that misimpression because I am a strong proponent of stop, question, and frisk. But like a doctor treating you for cancer, you use the right amount for your patient. So in 2016, when I left, we were down about 12,000 stops. 
Why? Because crime was down so low. We didn't need, uh, during the 1990s, we started increasing it because the patient was very ill. Uh, I talked about Commissioner Kelly during his time. Uh, and he did a great job with terrorism, great job continuing to reduce crime. But where he and Mayor made, made Bloomberg ended up getting beat up was that they were doing too much stop and frisk for too long, too much medicine uh, for a patient who was getting better. Gotcha. It ended up cost, costing Bloomberg and Kelly, despite great support in the black community in general, they ended up on the receiving end of a lot of bad press because they didn't take the put off the gas pedal soon enough. Of, but make no mistake right. about it. Stock question of risk is not over. It's an essential tool gotcha. of policing. Commissioner? Using the moderation. Yeah, go out and get his book. It tells the whole story 50 years in the profession. is years in Vietnam, too. The Profession, a memoir of community race, and the arc of policing in America. Bill Bratton, thanks. I'll talk to you again. Back in a moment. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everyone. I'm just wondering if there's more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. Company's getting impatient. They want you to come back to work. Amazon, they're saying come back three days. Google, three days. Apple, three days. Big pushback at Apple, by the way. Facebook, two and a half. Uh, The number of of weeks per year workers can fully work remote are four. Uh, From Amazon, Google, get four. What do you think? Things are going to change a lot? I think it's going to force employers to be more flexible, right? Because employees do want the flexibility to be able to stay at home when they need to. Absolutely. And what about at night? What about watching a movie? Next, most anticipated summer movies in the Heights. That's Lynn Miranda, uh, Lynn manuel Miranda. That's his Broadway musical. They're making it into a movie. I'm sure it'll be great. Uh, F9, uh, Fast and Furious, the ninth edition. We know how they beg to stay in the Chinese market with Vin Diesel uh, as show us the Sharon and John Cena and others. Uh, Black Widow, July 9th. Space Jam, A New Legacy. This is going to be with LeBron instead of Jordan, correct? It is. Are you going to go watch that? I love the first one. It was one of the first cartoons you could see with your kids. My son worshipped uh, Michael Jordan because of Space Jam. Next. Kim Kardashian reveals what she knew and what she wanted to, what she knew, what she wanted to divorce Kanye West. I'm going to leave that answer for future shows. Uh, what because a cliffhanger. I know it is, but so what? Kanye West has moved on to a hotter woman. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. It's Brian Kilmeade coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, This is Talker Magazine's fourth-ranked show in the entire nation, and my favorite nation, which I have no problem saying out loud, which seems to be a problem with other people who serve in Congress. Leslie Gold coming up at the end of the hour to tell you about a great program that might just be the perfect gift for Father's Day where people tell their own story of their own life professionally recorded. Um, And it's really, it's a great idea. I wish I came up with it, but she's often filling in for me here and uh, she'll be joining us. But Shannon Bream is also on deck, so let's get to the big three. 
Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I've said I'm going to go to the border. And I, when are you going to the border, the Vice President? The administration has asked. I'm not finished. <laughs> I've said I'm going to the border. Uh, that is a very testy vice president as she falls flat in her first overseas, uh, I'd say, beyond our borders trip and gets badgered about not going to our border, even the White House can't defend her. And indifference to illegals who pour into our country has gotten the attention of the governor of Texas, who's going to start building our wall again. I'm not kidding. Number two. This is not a joke. You know what the Joint Chiefs told us the greatest threat facing America was? global warming. The president is looking at it at a much broader angle than I am. I'm looking at it from a strictly military standpoint. And from a strictly military standpoint, I'm putting China and Russia up there. Yeah, no kidding. Can you add Iran too and not global warming? Hold your breath. President Biden on the sit about to sit down with our allies and soon our chief enemy. What we need from meetings, what we need from those meetings and why the world should be worried about the start as well as Iran, China and Russia kind of laughing at us. Number one. I think she absolutely should be fired. And this is a pattern with her, too. He's constantly trying to make you believe that America is a bad place, not worthy of our praise at all. What she does is she says something pretty outlandish, and then she turns around and claims victimhood for it when people criticize her. This is the game that gets played. This is the pattern. Yeah, there you go. Dan Crenshaw making it uh, all so simple. Dems fighting words. Wildly inappropriate words from Elon Omar get her rebuked by Democratic leadership as her squad fall in behind her, not fighting her. The waning divide could blow up Pelosi and Schumer's narrow majority in both chambers. We'll discuss it with Shannon Bream right around now. Hey, Shannon. Good morning. Hey, congrats on the ranking uh, with the Talkers magazine. Thank you. That's awesome. I think your show is so much fun, and I learn stuff. No, no I learn stuff. When you join us on Fridays, I learn stuff because uh, you're actually covering the news that's still breaking throughout the night, Fox News at mm-hmm. night at midnight. We also have your, uh, your book that's still out and available, a perfect Father's Day gift, The Women of the Bible, The Wisdom of 16 Women and Their Lessons for Today. Now, think about this, Shannon. Who buys gifts for dads? Women. Why wouldn't women oh, exactly. want to sell their own cause? Yeah, and there are stories about guys in there, too. Right. I mean, you know, they're part of the, the, the weaving together the tapestry. And I've actually had dads say to me that they want to do this book or they're reading it with their daughter. So, sure, it's for guys, too. Right. Don't you think men are overrated? Is that, is that the conclusion I, No, of the book? I think some of them are underrated. Oh, really? It's like my husband. You, I don't know. I'm on the fence about <laughs> you. <laughs> I, I get enough ratings. Uh, but we'll see. <laughs> Uh, So, Shannon, a a couple of things. First off, I'm listening to the governor of Texas, and I understand his frustration. I understand his politics, too. He sued President Obama a lot when he was attorney general. But what Mm -hmm. he's saying is, I can't take this anymore. They're overrunning our communities. Our districts, even the Democratic-run districts, are complaining. I'm going to start putting up the wall again. Here's what he said. Cut 18. Texas passed a budget adding more than a billion dollars for border security in the state, which is a good start. But Laura also announced that Texas is going to begin increasing arrests that are being made, arresting people coming across the border, arresting people for trespassing. Uh, and, and because I've declared it a disaster that elevates the penalty, ensuring the people that we arrest for trespassing, they will be serving time in jail. We're going to take this very seriously. We're going to do everything possible to secure a border, including building a border wall. Can he? Can he start building the wall again? 
Well, listen, there are things you can do at the state level. The states have a lot of autonomy with certain things. Um, and I think by declaring a disaster, he is able to take a lot of steps that uh, say basically Texas is fending for itself on some of these things. And you and I know, and, and the folks who watch Fox know that we're covering this, there are Democrats down there who are part of this raising the alarm saying this is not getting any better. It is getting worse. We're calling as members of the Democratic Party on the president to do something, to do something concrete. Um, when you have also elections down there in Texas where a number of you know critical elections, mayoral positions and different things are, are going red, um, I think there there is a lot going on there for people who are actually near the border, very impacted. I mean, like Governor um, Abbott said last week, the homes that we hear, have here for foster care for Texas children are being commandeered by the feds. They're flooding them so full of these poor kids, you know, who come here illegally and have nowhere to go that we can't help our own children in Texas. So he's going to do what he can and, and what he thinks he has to at the state level. Contractors are there. The, the materials are there. Uh, and there are a lot of them, in many cases, they're paid already. And let's say he wants to use his own budget. I think he'd have a lot of support for that. And how do you, how do you tell him to stop building it? When you have 180,000 people crossing, most of which through Texas, those are the ones we know about. So, so Kamala Harris goes over to Guatemala, Mexico. I can't find anyone who thinks she was, uh, who looked, who thought she looked confident and had good answers. She looked totally out of her element. Here's what she said yesterday in an interview. Cut 15. I've said I'm going to go to the border. And I, when are you going to the border, the Vice President? The administration has asked. I'm not finished. <laughs> I've said I'm going to the border. And also, if we are going to deal with the problems at the border, we have to deal with the problems that cause people to go to the border, to flee to the border. And that is the root causes. So enough of her root causes. It's not just Guatemala. It's over 100 countries. We can't fix every other country so they don't come here. Her not going to the border is really blowing up in her face. And I don't think the White House understands where she's coming from. Well, I don't think that the vice president's team loves that she has this assignment. I mean, we hear those whispers here in D.C. that they're not thrilled that this kind of fell onto her plate. It's a demonstrous problem that neither Democrats nor Republicans, when they've been in control of the White House and Congress and everything else, have been able to solve. I mean, it's sort of a nightmare, uh, and it's only getting worse right now. And so, yeah, her trip did not get good reviews, and that's not just from people that you would say lean right or conservative media. I mean, that's from mainstream and left-leading outlets, too, do not think she nailed this. And it's just surprising that some of the questions you know you're going to get, that she still seems unprepared or not polished on some of those answers about why haven't you gone to the board? Order, things you know you're going to get asked, but um, her team is frustrated because they know that this is at this moment an unsolvable problem, and they don't love that it's been assigned to her. So I think that she's, um, you know, I, I don't, I can't read her mind, but we do hear the grumbling from her team that she's not thrilled that this is her assignment right now. But you know what? The thing is, you're supposed to take on hard jobs if you want to be president. Nobody doubts she wants to be president. So mm-hmm. why are they trying to play a perfect game? Get involved. They asked her also to spread word to minority communities about vaccinations. They want to go and push for the voting rights, H.R. 1, and sell that. She doesn't do anything. I don't know what she's doing. And she doesn't give press conferences, so she doesn't give a lot of interviews. Listen to Democratic Congressman Henry Cuellar, Cut 17. If you notice this administration, without due respect, talks about how we're handling the unaccompanied kids, but that's one thing. I'm glad that we're doing a much better job. But what about the rest of, uh, of the people? What about the individual adults are coming in? 
We have to talk about that. Uh, we always talk about working with Central America, Guatemala, and Mexico to do the things, the dirty things we want to do or the uncomfortable things we don't want to do, and that is deport people. We want them to deport people before they come here, but we got to enforce the law, and part of the, uh, of the laws that we have is deport the people that don't have a right to be here in the United States. It's just plain and simple. And not only are we not doing that, some of them aren't even getting processed. It's, it's insanity. Well, and the thing is, these numbers have not slowed down. We know hard data numbers coming from nonpartisan government offices, as you mentioned before, um, they're up, way up. And we may hit the million-person mark of these incursions or uh, incidents at the border where um, law enforcement – and those are just the ones that we know about that are actually having some contact with law enforcement at the border. You know, for this fiscal year, hitting a million, probably by the middle of this month, next month. So it's not slowing down at all just because people aren't there covering it other than Fox and some other you know organizations that are committed to having reporters down there doesn't mean this has been resolved. And these are still kids being sent with coyotes, smugglers, cartels, benefiting greatly. And these are human beings that are down there. So if we truly care about these people, we have to be honest about the conditions that they're traveling in and, and the situations that they're being put in. Um, and if you care about people, you got to care about that part of the equation, too, because this isn't safe for a lot of people. And if we make it easier for the cartels and the smugglers to think that they're going to get this done, we're not actually benefiting those people in the short or the long term. No, we I want hear, to come here. No, I hear you. Uh, so far, the president of the United States is overseas. He's got his G7 to sit down, meet the queen, uh, take some pictures. But he's got to convince his uh, our allies. So we've got to start isolating and taking on uh, China economically, militarily. He doesn't seem, according to their own reports, he's going to have an uphill battle doing that. They just do not see the same threat at us. And when he came out and said global warming is the greatest threat to America, according to the Joint Chiefs of Staff, that came up yesterday. Listen to General Milley, cut seven. Climate change is a threat, but the president is looking at it at a much broader angle than I am. I'm looking at it from a strictly military standpoint. And from a strictly military standpoint, I'm putting China Russia up there. Okay, thanks. Uh, add Iran, and I can sleep tonight. Uh, global warming, this, this green agenda not only is destroying our superior uh, production of oil and gas, now he's hurting us, making us the laughing stock of the world. Global warming? Well, listen, a lot of people out there on the world stage like to talk about global warming and, and, you know, like to talk about how the U.S. got out of the Paris Climate Accords and all these other things, um, that they're thankful now that President Biden is taking us back to what's important. But a couple of days before that, he said white supremacy was one of the biggest threats. I mean, it just – it's a different thing, um, you know, every day. And I think to force a military leader to have to stand up in there and say, no, actually, you know, Russia, China, those kinds of things are more important to us um, as an existential threat than – um, you know, climate change, uh, you know, it seems like some mixed messaging. And, and I think also people don't want to be constantly um, feeling like there is a new threat, something we can't possibly get under control. And our allies and, and people around the globe need to know um, what the priorities are. And like you said, China um, makes no secret of its ambition and of the China first policy and things that it will do to harm other countries in the process, um, including countries that are countries. Um, so I, I just think there's so much more in the world states to worry about. But, you know, President Biden also has to be looking 
looking ahead to this meeting with Putin. There's so, so much on the line in that meeting, and I think that's the one everybody's really keeping a close eye on. I guess so, but I'm also want to see if, if they can get Germany and France behind the urgency to keep the mm-hmm. EU along with the UK firmly behind us and saying that there's got to be some standards. I don't think you could steamroll uh, Hong Kong, threaten Taiwan, and round up a million people and put them in concentration camps, and all they think about is building factories in in Wuhan? I mean, my goodness, they poisoned the world and are getting away with it by lying about it. I'm beside myself with this, obviously, but uh, and I'm not sure what's going to emerge from this. But tell me if you believe that this is a widespread feel in Washington. Cut 11, Lindsey Graham. Let's just be honest. Uh, the bad guys were afraid, uh, afraid of Trump. Who's afraid of Biden? I mean, you know, the Europeans are talking about doing a trade deal with China as China dismantles Hong Kong's democracy and is engaging in genocide against the Uyghurs. So this just blows my mind. They're talking about going back into the Iranian nuclear deal, even though Iran hasn't changed its behavior at all. I can tell you one thing, the Israelis miss a a strong American president. The Mexican president blamed Biden for the spike in illegal immigration. We've had a 160% increase in illegal immigration uh, in the last six months because Biden doesn't know what he's doing on the border. Just real quick, uh, Shannon, is that is that a sentiment that besides the, the conservative element, is that a sentiment that people feel? Yeah, I mean, obviously, President Trump was unpredictable. Even Kim Jong-un was worried about him. You know, I mean, you just don't know when when um, he decides that he's going to crack down on something, a new round of sanctions or whatever is going to happen. Um, I think he was unpredictable, and he was pretty hardcore on a number of issues, including Russia, if people will look on paper and actually look at the positions he took with Putin. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, President Biden is very much old school. We're going to be diplomatic this time around. We think that's the better uh, course of action. And I think for sure some countries will respond better to that. But those outliers that are really going to tap him early in his presidency and want to see how far they can push him, they're not the nice guys. They're the bad guys. Right. Lastly, I know I'm pushing my time here, but uh, I want you to hear uh, the comeback story that I was not expecting, featuring Jeffrey Tubin fully dressed as himself, his first appearance with our good friend Ali Camerata on CNN. They're accepting him back. What the hell were you thinking? Well, obviously, uh, I wasn't thinking very well or very much. And um, it was something that was inexplicable to me. I think one point, I, I wouldn't exactly say in my defense, because nothing is really in my defense. I didn't think I was on the call. I didn't think other people could see me. You so, thought that you had turned off your camera? Correct. I thought that I had turned off the Zoom call. Now, that's not a defense. This was deeply moronic. So, uh, case closed? I mean, they fire Rick Santorum for having a different opinion on American Indians. You're a lawyer, Shannon Bream. Um, He's a lawyer. Do they have any other uh, judicial contributors they could use? Uh, I just, that is such a hard one for me because I feel like... Um, There are a lot of incidents that involve people doing very uh, unscrupulous things, and you got to take them one by one and decide whether, you know, we have a place of forgiveness and grace to have them back. Um, But, you know, for Allison Camerata, i got to think that's one of the most uncomfortable interviews (laughs) she's ever had to do. Um, And as a woman, I would not want to be the one to welcome them back, like, okay, everything's fine. Let's talk about exactly what you did, and um, everything's good. I mean, it's just embarrassing. (laughs) I feel like, have we no shame? And I don't. I don't think we do very much in society anymore. Shannon, we're going to watch you at noon. 
uh, excuse me, at midnight. Uh, uh-huh. And whatever you do, pick up Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Shannon, thanks so much. You got it. Hey, when we come back, your calls, 1-866-408-7669. Please get dressed. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A fast as three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Mr. Secretary, do you believe that our military is a fundamentally racist organization? Yes or no, please. Well, I won't give you a yes or no answer on that, Senator, because uh, it it deserves more than a yes or no. Do you believe that any member of the military should be treated differently based on their skin color and sex? Again, yes or no will do. No, I do not believe that. And that is is why we have diversity, equity, and inclusion focused in the military. All right, uh, that was Tom Cotton brawling it out with the Secretary of Defense. People thought that was race-related. Do you believe this? Anyone who thinks that's race-related, go look at McCain and Rumsfeld. Look at the way they brawled. They're both Republicans and white. James, 97.1 FM News Talk, 97.1 in St. Louis. James. Hi, Brian. How are you doing today? Good. What do you think about the squad staying united in their anti-Americanism? Well, I I was just— saying to your your screener that I I disagree with Geraldo and anybody that takes that kind of a line that I understand they have uh, family and friends and everything in other countries that are affected by terrorism and the the losses that they have. But when they stood up, put their hands on the Bible and said that they're going to defend this country against all enemies, foreign and domestic, they protect the American people first. And if it's unfortunate enough that they come from another country that's affected by this, they can do it in the proper way, and they don't have to sacrifice the fact of telling us that our country is jerks. I hear you, James. You made a lot of sense. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Do you think that your defense of a person that said things like that might be incongruent with the mission of the CBC? Uh, first of all, whatever the president said in the past, it's nothing to do with this discussion at all. I think well, you've, defend, you've defended a, it. You've defended. Uh, please him. don't cut me off. I didn't. I have not cut you off in this interview. Please do not do that to me. Thank you. As a black man in America, I'm allowed to have my own thoughts on who I choose to support and who I choose not to support. So great. Uh, Congressman Byron Donalds says, I want to join the black congressional caucus. They said no. Uh, they haven't gotten back to him. The CBC is the abbreviation. And they say, well, you supported uh, Donald Trump and you didn't support the uh, you never really admitted that uh, Joe Biden won the election. Excuse me. Nothing to do with this. She goes on. Cut 33. Last time I checked, I was born black. I've grown up black. I've made it. I've made it in America as a black man. I graduated college as a black man. I raised my sons as a black man. I came into the halls of Congress as a black man. So I don't know what. Donald Trump or Joe Biden or, frankly, anybody else has to do with the CBC and myself. 
but it's really about all of black America and all of America being exposed to all ideas and ideologies across the political spectrum, not just one. Uh, when I have conversations with, with black Democrats, we actually just have a good conversation. So when this came up in the media and, you know, it came up from uh, left-wing media, when it popped up, it kind of surprised me. I was like, oh, wow, we're here already? But that's okay. Let's just go ahead and, and, do, and take care of business right here and there. When it comes to people on the radical left, especially when it comes to white liberals who try to make try to make me seem like I'm not I'm not black enough for them, I tell them walk a mile in my shoes. So, Congressman, it's just unbelievable that the arrogance that people get and they say, well, we'll go book you on. We'll find out why you're complaining about being the Black Progressive Caucus. But then we'll hit you with a Donald Trump question. Yeah, he likes Trump. We'll always like Trump. Doesn't mean you agree with everything he says. I mean, do you, does anyone really support Joe Biden? Well, you just don't want to, you just want to make sure Republicans on the White House, especially the guy that was there before, to build on critical race theory, which you haven't talked about much today, but man, that's not going away. Uh, also weighing in on it was Marco Rubio yesterday. So essentially, critical race theory says blacks are oppressed and the oppressors are whites. And if you're in this generation of whites, whether you're in second grade or the second year of college, you're supposed to apologize for your whiteness. And just bizarre things are being put out by teacher after teacher, and they're being called out, I think, primarily because of the pandemic. We're looking over the fourth grader's shoulder instead of saying, well, let me see. Did I forget to check online that the report card came in? Because they don't mail them home anymore. Did I forget to check with the teacher? Oh, the parent-teacher thing isn't there. I haven't gotten any notes home. So I guess everything's going well. How are you doing in social studies? How are you doing in history? Good. You have any friends? Good. We've got to move on. You have multiple kids. That's the story. Going a million miles an hour. Well, things slowed down and school went home. And people are looking around saying, I don't want my kids learning this. In fact, this black Columbia school professor, this Columbia, this linguistic professor, John McWhorter, who is black, said Wednesday evening that parents of children enrolled in this New Jersey private school that has started to teach critical race theory should pull their kids out before the fall. He said if parents truly uh, are anti-racist, they should take their children out of the prep school. Only this will arrest these misguided elect parishioners from their politically correct uh, uh, parishioners from their quest to forge a new reality for us all. And if you look at what's happening in, I think, eight states now, they're making it illegal to teach. Florida is one of them. Marco Rubio, cut 31. I think there's hysteria. I think this is part of a broader hysteria, but also a concerted effort to rewrite the story of America. Critical race theory at its core is basically a theory that teaches that Americans are divided between oppressors and oppressed. Uh, oppressors, even though you may not have individually have oppressed anybody, is inherently evil and need to apologize for things that people did in the past that you had nothing to do with. The oppressed never do anything wrong, and it constantly divides America into these two classes. It goes on to tell the story of an America that for 240 years has been a symbol of hatred, prejudice, bigotry, uh, white pa pa patriarchy, and things of this nature. Not only is it an inaccurate reading of our history, but I actually think it's indoctrination, all headed towards a political aim. We used to be on the same page as a country, and we used to, our tractors, for the most part, used to be on the outside. Of course, you have civil unrest, will always be. People always have their own point of view, but never so much anti-Americanism from Americans. It's keeping us totally distracted, as you heard earlier, gives China an opportunity, on this show anyway, you know, China an opportunity to rise up and take advantage of us. You remember, Admiral Chavita said it, they're hoping to take over, instead of the region, the world, and to be the superpower people have to deal with. Their Belt and Road program now has the nation, the whole, instead of just building up China, they want to take over everything else and their philosophy. 
So we're watching all these. Have you noticed the Board of Educations and the rising up, whether it's masks and lockdowns and Zoom calls? People are coming up and protesting and now running and trying to overthrow uh, and recall their Board of Educations, one of which is happening in Virginia over and over again. And every day it seems like we wake up and find out there was another meeting last night and we have parents making a lot of sense desperate and frustrated to get their point across that their kids are learning the wrong things about their country and about their race. One of which is this Xi Van Fleet. She is a woman from communist China that was that dates back to Chiang Kai-shek, who was then using uh, had a representative government who financed by the Soviets, Mao Zedong, took over China, forced those who would fight with Chiang Kai-shek to Taiwan. Hence, we have the situation we have right now. She sees now as a Virginia mom a lot of things happening here that happened there. Cut 29. Here she is with Sean Hannity last night expanding on her one minute. That's all they gave her, one minute in front of the Board of Education in Virginia. Cut 29. I just want people to know that the freedom is fragile and uh, we can lose it any time if we don't defend it. And there's a lot of uh, um, Chinese Americans who have the same experience and share my point of view. And I know that more and more people will uh, step up and share their stories and tell the American people uh, critical race theory is not anti-racism. It itself is racist. It's divisive, it's destructive, and it is dangerous. And she talks about the first thing they did is try to wipe out China's past. And the next thing they did is change names, whether it's the capital of the city or the name on your block. And what is happening now? Take Lincoln off your grammar school. Make sure Jefferson, if there's no statue of Jefferson where he went to college at William and Mary, uh, make sure they apologize for the University of Virginia. Really? Okay. Is that the truth? Take down statues of George Washington because he was a slave owner 235 years ago. Really? Would we have a country without him? Does that make sense? Craig, listen on WABC in New York. Hey, Craig. Hi, sir. How you doing? Good. What's on your mind? Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I just I, I'm getting so fed up with being told that I am a racist. I'm a bad guy. You know, I mean, I'm not a racist. I don't have a problem. But every time you turn on the TV, the white person is responsible for this. The white person is responsible for that. I mean, if you look at the Islander game the other day when they opened up their uh, their new arena, did you see that? Where where, where they sang the uh, where they sang the national anthem, and, um, and and the whole place just started singing. The whole place was rocking. I think there's some kind of um, backlash now where, 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 where white people are just getting tired of hearing. You know, I mean, look, I, I, live, I live in a middle-class neighborhood. I know a guy that has two jobs to move here, to pay the taxes, to send his kid to that school. Now, to me, that's not white privilege. That's working your butt off to get what you want of and course. be where you want to be. And be where you want to be, and you know. Craig, and, tell and me if this is, tell me if this resonates with you. Tell me if this resonates with you. I, I never was so aware of of races and genders and sexuality. Everything is labeled. Now I understand if you're a politician, you have to know, decide what neighborhoods to target in order to win a district. I get that. But why is everything about white and black? Why are you acting a certain way because you're white? Why are they so determined not to make us Americans, but make us white Americans, Asian Americans, black Americans? They're making people go into segments. We never were like that before. We were the melting pot. We used to try to glue each other together. Now we're trying desperately to unglue. 
Oh, absolutely. I used to go down to the city when, you know, back in the 70s. And I used to go to a lot of the comedy shops and a lot of the comedy stores. And they would tell jokes on Lithuanian. They would tell jokes about Lithuanians, about blacks, about Hispanics, about Jews, about everybody. And everybody laughed. There was no animosity. Nobody looked at somebody else, but somebody said a joke. People laughed, and it was goodwill, and and, and they enjoyed the comics. Now today, if you say something a little bit off that you don't even realize you're saying, people want to jump on you and tell you how bad things are, and it's crazy. I, I mean, know. I mean, I, think about that uh, that that actress that went to a party when she was 19 that evidently had roots back in, um, I guess, segregated South. She didn't even know about it, and she had to apologize and say, being 19, now she's 27, being 19 is no excuse. I should have researched the party I went to. Are you kidding she had to self-flagellate and put out public statements. She should just say, listen, I did it when I was 19. I had no idea of the background. I had a good time. That's it. People got to start taking a stand and stop apologizing. Just stop it. And, and, just, and, and management has got to back their employees. And things like what happened on The Bachelor where you stick up for a contestant and now you're out one of the most lucrative jobs uh, in television. And I don't even know this guy. I feel bad for him, Chris Harrison. I'm Brian Kilmeade. Go to briankilmeade.com or any of my books, especially for Father's Day. Sam Houston, The Alamo Avengers, Thomas Jefferson, The Tripoli Pirates. I can sign it and send it if you order now. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm in the Army, and I read in the Army paper that Ed Sullivan is going to have a contest and... The winners of the contest will appear on the Ed Sullivan Show. And I went, wow. Meet Bernie Burns. My name is Bernard Horowitz. I was born in 1928 in Brownsville, Brooklyn. I was taken immediately to jail. Bernie Burns, born Bernard Horowitz, is an entertainer. He's been an entertainer since he was a toddler. On this day... Bernie is 93 years old, so that's a long time, and old habits die hard. While we were getting Bernie wired up for the interview, he started doing shtick, and then he wouldn't stop. I'm rehearsing, please, I'm a star. Can you speak? I hear her. Can you hear me? Because every every word I say costs a buck. So funny. Uh, Listen, if you recognize that... Uh, you don't recognize Bernie. Don't worry about it. It's a life story that you're going to be getting for the first time, all part of Leslie Gold's uh, brand-new entrepreneurial effort that is really uh, fascinating. It's called a lifestory.net is where you find out more. But, Leslie, you heard her fill in for me before. You heard her all over the radio uh, for years. But now she's got a new, uh, a new mission, and we think it's a, a perfect idea to relay, especially with Father's Day uh, on the doorstep. Leslie, welcome back. Oh, Brian, it's so great to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me what, on. What a great idea that you've put together. Tell me where it came from, having everybody's story uh, essentially produced, put down, and have a true pro like you get the best parts out or the most important parts out that families can have forever. Well, I started doing the public podcast, which you just played a piece of an episode. It's called The Life Story, where I just 
I talked to just incredible 80, 90, 100-year-old people with remarkable life stories, people that were part of history, or people that are 103 and still going to work, just incredible stories. And as I was putting together the episodes for the podcast, I started thinking about my own parents who are gone now and how I'd give anything to hear them tell their own stories in their own crystal clear voices again. I know their stories, of course, but it's different being able to hear them tell them. And a light bulb went on and I thought, well, that's a service worth providing. So I started a company that does that. We capture the life story of your mom or your dad in their own voice, especially your 70, 80, 90-year-old mom or dad, and we produce it into a beautiful audio documentary with everything we put in the public podcast episodes, music, historical sound, narration, remarks from others who know them. And when it's finished, it's a beautiful, beautiful piece of audio storytelling. And and you just think every life worth living is worth recording, right? Well, everybody's got an incredible story to tell, really. And um, the the thing about it is these private pieces serve two functions. First of all, you give them to your parent or grandparent, and they're so flattered and touched by the piece. But more than that, and I speak from experience here, the family is thrilled because they have this beautiful record of their parent. So it's not just a gift for that person. It turns into a treasure a treasure really for the whole family. I have a great nephew who was a baby when my father, his great grandpa died and he's seven now and he's asking about him. And I thought, God, now that he's curious, wouldn't it be great if he could hear his great grandpa tell his own life story in his own voice? So that's the service that grew out of the pop, the podcast. And even if you got it for somebody to do. So for example, I got you a life story.net appointment. Uh, you go get to tell your life story, and then you guys produce it, and they'll have it forever. The family has it forever, right? That's right. That's right. And some of the you know the stories that we seek out for the public podcast are very dramatic. Now, your parents may not be. Mine wasn't. But my father would tell a story, for instance, of a chicken. And even though they grew up poor in the city of New Haven, Connecticut, I don't know, Brian, somehow they had a chicken for a pet. And they tied that chicken with a rope to the front porch of their second story apartment. And one day they came home and the chicken jumped off the porch and he hung itself. And it's a terrible story. But my father would laugh in the same spots every time he told it. Now, that story is not interesting to anyone else but me, but I'd give anything to hear him tell it again. And that's what we do when we do the private services at a life story. And how's it been going so so far? Oh, it's been going incredible. Um, We're only five months into this. We've done 132 of these. They're labor-intensive productions. Um, But to a person, everybody has been thrilled with the – with the outcome. And I'll say, you know, don't wait till it's too late. Father's Day is coming up and and that's a good opportunity. It's not the only opportunity, but you know, what are you going to get dad? Another brunch? Another sweater? He doesn't need that. He doesn't. Get him No, he doesn't. Your father doesn't need that. Get him something that'll blow him away and that the family will have forever. So whether it's a war veteran around your 90s or you're a uh in your 100 years old and you want to look back on your life uh, it's never too, it's never too late, never too soon uh, to record it and to have a pro do it. Why put it off? Especially when everyone's got an iPhone or a phone. I don't know anyone who doesn't. You got that record function. You get get great quality. 
So, and you could actually pull it off and produce it, put the music yeah, well, in we, and the yeah. music of the times and. Yeah, we don't do it that way. We actually send microphone ahead, and I have I use a special program that is made for this. So we do remote interviews, but we capture crystal clear voice sound. So it sound when it's done, it sounds like that person is in the room with you. That you know, being a radio geek like you, that was important to me to not have uh, somebody's parents sound like they're on the phone or on a Zoom, sound like they sound when you're talking to them in the room. So we do it that way. We conduct the interviews. uh, We do the editing. We do the musical scoring. We find the historical sound. We put it all together. Leslie, uh, it's called thelifestory.net. Just go on there right now and just follow the instructions. You can get it, right? Yeah. And if you're curious about what it would sound like, listen to one of the public podcasts in a life story and you'll and you'll get a sense of exactly what you would get if you hired us all right leslie thanks so much congratulations it's a great idea oh brian thank you mm. oh still a listener always a fan you uh you think quickly and you speak quickly and i love that i feel like you never waste my time we're all in a rush <laughs> a life story.net <laughs> leslie gold thank you thank you brian thanks so much for listening keep it here brian kilmeade show and by the way if you want to order any of my books BrianKilmead.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.